0: Good morning, listener. My name is James Patrick McHugh, and you're listening to the Future Foundations podcast. With me today is Delegate-Elect Elias Coop-Gonzalez. He's the Delegate-Elect for West Virginia's 67th District, and a living example of the American dream played out in civics. I'm grateful to have met Elias while he was on the campaign trail, and now that the dust has settled down a bit, he's agreed to share with us some of the insights he's gained on his experience and then the plans he's making for the next two years in the West Virginia House of Delegates. With that, I'd like to introduce you, Elias. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got where you are.
1: Well, first off, thanks again uh, for having me. I'm honored to be here. And uh, really where it started is I, uh, it was in high school uh, when I just started to get involved in politics. There was a, a feisty, tough businessman from New York that was running for uh, president back then. I didn't, I didn't really know who he was, but I, uh, I kind of latched onto that campaign and I saw where that went. And uh, in 2018, um, our state representative was elected and he was a absolute radical liberal uh, in every sense of the word. And uh, uh, you, you know, you could find stuff on Twitter of him retweeting uh, AOC and Bernie Sanders and things like that. And he's a, He's a legislator in West Virginia, of all places. And I didn't think much of it. I was 16 at the time. Um, I was just focusing on graduating high school. Well, right after high school, I went to intern for our congressman, Alex Mooney, in Washington, D.C., and I I, uh, learned a lot of valuable things there. I got involved in the process. And from there, the, the ball just started rolling. I went to Leadership Institute, interned there for a little bit, and they actually decided to hire me there for a while. And I I worked right under the president of Leadership Institute, Morton Blackwell. He's the um, the Republican National Committee man of Virginia as well. Uh, very influential guy. He's the chair of the Rules Committee. And uh, I worked for him for about a year, but I wanted to focus more on college. Uh, it was kind of difficult to balance those. So I came back home to West Virginia mm. and uh, I saw that. No one was going to run against this radical leftist in my community. So I decided to run against him. And uh, it was a very personal decision for me, especially considering that he lives right across the street from me. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, not oh, yeah. like right across the street down to the left or, you know, a few blocks. I mean, right dead center across the street.
0: You guys weren't meeting up to compare campaign notes along the way then. Uh, <laughs> no, no, definitely not. <laughs> made the neighborhood bake off a little bit awkward. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so let me ask you, you said you, you stepped back from leadership Institute and the work you were doing in DC to focus on college. Mm-hmm. Was there a key moment then like where you decided you're looking across the street at this guy running and what did you feel like a moral imperative to, to be in opposition? Or I am just curious, what, what was the the thing that clicked in you that said, I have to step up and do this?
1: Sure. Well, those decisions, uh they, they pretty much coincided. I, I made the decision that I want to come back to West Virginia. I want to be here with my family. I've got a, a younger brother that I want to spend more time with. Of course, my, my dad, my stepmom, but, uh, uh, I saw that no one was going to run against him. And I was very upset of, ab- about that fact because in my opinion, it was, it was a winnable race. And then of course, you know, working at leadership Institute, I, I knew it was a winnable race and, I got so upset that no one else was, was going to stand up. They said that they went through our, our local uh, Republican Party uh, chapter. They they went through seven or eight people that we know of, and they all said no. Oh, wow. And I just kind of – I remembered a story that my old boss at Leadership Institute, Warren Blackwell, told me. And uh, I won't tell you the, the whole story here, but um, essentially what the moral of the story was is that if you can't find a leader, you need to be a leader. Mm. And so i I decided, you know, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm not going to go out there and blame everyone else for you know letting our country slip for not standing up if I'm not doing it myself. So I went ahead and filed the paperwork, and here we
0: are. yeah, wow. I think that I think that's a big step there though, because a lot of people see a need and they'll say something. But when it comes time to put themselves on the line for it, it's it's a different story. so. Thank you for stepping up to the plate on that. Um, once the decision was made, you said you went ahead and registered. Can you talk about what those steps are like? I know um, we're both fairly young in our 20s, and mm-hmm. a lot of people our age might think that it's prohibitively uh, too expensive or too difficult to get in the position of running. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah.
1: Well, the main thing is you need to raise money to win. I mean, that's that's just an unavoidable fact of, of regarding uh, elections and running for office, especially the higher office you go, the more money you need to raise. Um, but that's not something that's that's too difficult. You know, people look at at these presidential or senate races and they see, oh well, you know, fifty or sixty million dollars and things like that. Mm. You know, what, you need to start out small and you know, go to a, a city council meeting and see, you know, could, could I see myself in this or state legislature? Um, but it wasn't too difficult. The filing fee was $100. All you had to do is sign a few papers and put your address, obviously, and uh, sign a few things, affirm that you're a citizen, obviously, because uh, we still care about that. At least I hope we do. <laughs>
0: Did you know that you were changing from being a private figure to a public figure when you filed that? Did you know that it was kind of going to impact your social life? I mean, I know that's, that might yeah. sound a little surface level, but I'm just curious how that was running through your head. No, I mean, that's, that's a great question. And actually I was thinking
1: that exactly when I was walking over to the post office, because I had all the forms, I had the the check for a hundred dollars in there. And I knew as soon as I put it in this box, there's no going back. It's in the box. It's going to get picked up by the the letter carrier and it's going to go straight to Charleston. Right. It's a felony for you to
0: take it back out of that box. I'm pretty sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I wasn't thinking about it, but I was before putting in, I was like, well, this is it and i i put it in yeah
0: yeah wow so after that you you probably it sounds like you had consulted with the local uh political party the republican party that you ran with um Mm -hmm. did they set you up with campaign staff then did they have a manager already handpicked and all of that um or did you source from your own life people that you trusted to kind of take the keel i'm I'm curious how that shakes out
1: sure a little bit of both but a lot more of the latter um Mm. Thankfully, because I'd already been involved in the conservative movement uh, in several ways, I had people that I could reach out to and were, were phenomenal resources. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, Congressman Alex Meany, I interned for him. I'm still very good friends with him. Mm. Uh, every once in a while, I'll go uh, watch the UFC fights with him. Uh, we're big UFC fans. And uh, he's also a Leadership Institute grad, uh, just very skilled at campaign tactics. And anytime I needed to ask a question about you know something that was uh important in the campaign i knew that i could just call or text them, and and uh that was a big help
0: wow that is really good to have the the benefit of mentorship from people who've been in it a little while but maybe not so long that they've become rooted in the way they do it they can see that you have a different approach that's really mm-hmm. cool um, you talk about ufc do you practice mixed martial arts yourself i
1: practice brazilian jiu-jitsu
0: Okay, um, I've been looking into learning Muay Thai because I'm uh, I'm a little bit flabby and I want to be able to use that properly. <laughs> if that makes sense.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I did yeah. Muay Thai for two months. I'd I'd love to do some some striking or something like that around here, but I live in a small town. I'm I'm lucky. I'm I'm not lucky. I'm blessed to just have a jiu-jitsu gym and I enjoy going mm-hmm. there. But if you can do Muay Thai, man, highly recommend it.
0: I got to find I'm I'm in the Chicagoland area, so I got to find a place that's not too expensive and not too far. I'm trying to balance it out. But then, yeah, I really want to find a dojo with somebody who can teach me how to do this stuff properly. Um, OK, well, that speaks to your discipline right there. Um, when advancing all these causes, though, that you clearly have a passion for, um, similar to talking to Alex Mooney you, uh, you have to bring your own perspective, but then when you're talking to constituents, you know, you're facing, instead of being the client for him to help, suddenly they're the client for you to help in a way as constituents, what do you do? Or how did you on your campaign kind of compare your initial perception of like, this is what I think the biggest issues are to what your constituents had to say when you went out and met them?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Well, one
1: of the things that, and I think this is the case for everybody, but especially younger people. You do have to have a, a general idea of what's important, and ha- you know, be able to have your fingers on the pulse, so to speak, of your community. So I I, I knew some of the basic things that have been affecting us. We've got a, a terrible opioid epidemic here. Obviously, we need uh, economic development. Although, I think there's a, a big misconception in West Virginia that you know, we were in bad economic conditions because the coal industry collapsed and all that. That was certainly a factor, but people blame it solely on that. When Hmm. we were controlled by Democrats for 80 years, 80 years. And that I, I certainly attribute it to that. We just got a Republican uh, legislature in 2014.
0: We've, we've actually been uh, improving quite a bit since then. And so it's a matter right now of, you know, one-sided leadership for too long, kind of getting, uh blinders on and now the other side has to unravel some maybe fringe damages and shore those up is kind of what i'm hearing
1: yeah and a lot of it's really it's it's death from a thousand paper cuts it's not Mm -hmm. really there's there's obviously some monumental things that we could get rid of like i said uh we were talking earlier um yeah certificate of need that'd be big but just a lot of little regulations that are just arbitrary and make our, our government inefficient i'm a free market economist I'm studying economics at Liberty University. Um, I read Friedrich Hayek, Milton Friedman. And there's just, there's so much going on in our state that that makes it so inefficient. And I want to do something about that.
0: I don't know too much about campaigning because I've never been on a long campaign myself, but I've attended volunteer events from other people on their campaigns. Talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about how that went. Were there events that you really enjoyed? Were there events that really played well with the public? What did you find that worked that you think I'm definitely going to have to keep doing that?
1: Sure. Well, when it comes to campaigning, there are some technical aspects some technical skills that you need to have in order to win. And those skills, they can be taught to either side. You could be on the left or on the right. And, you know, whoever has uh, a better skill set, you know, assuming all, all the other variables are, are pretty similar, uh, you know, demographics of the district and, and layout and all, things like that. Um, so I can thank Leadership Institute for um, teaching me those things. When it comes to events, uh, I, I certainly would attend some Republican Party events and some com- community events those are mainly for networking purposes you don't really get a lot of votes from those but when it comes down to it the best thing that you can do is just have a comprehensive uh, voter contact uh, program and the centerpiece of that should always be door knocking and mm-hmm. i i made sure to door knock like crazy every every house that i could in in this district because it's a it's a very different feeling When you have that candidate, when you have that person who seems so far away or on TV or in news articles or headlines, when they're standing in your front porch and asking for for your vote. And there was even people who otherwise wouldn't have voted for me because they don't they don't like my my political views or anything else. But because I went there and personally talked to them, they voted for me.
0: Right. They saw a glimpse of your character that they might not have seen on paper. Because you were Mm -hmm. there actually asking them, what do you care about? Yes. That's awesome. That's huge. Wow. Uh, I think that in our our current day, mobilizing people is a lot more difficult in person than it used to be because we're all so connected with social. Mm -hmm. Um, So props to you for getting boots on the ground. All right. What do you think? I know, like you said, we talked about a few of the issues beforehand and we've touched on a couple in here. Um, if there's a number one thing that day one, you're going to be going, this is who I need to be talking to, or this is what I need to be talking to people about. This is the issue I need to be, um, platforming, I guess. I know it's early since you're still probably deciding on what you should be pursuing, but mm-hmm. what do you think is your main focus day one in office? Sure. Well, my, my
1: main priority, uh, my number one is protecting life okay. and, uh, we've done a, a pretty good job of doing that in West Virginia. So from here on out, what I want to do is just expand on that, make sure that uh, pregnant women have resources, they, they don't feel like they're alone, and that they, they really do feel like they have a choice, and that choice is to keep their baby and raise it uh, and choose, choose life. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, I'd like to see the income tax reduced and eventually um, done away with completely. That's something that our governor has shown interest for, uh, the House has shown interest for. Unfortunately, the Senate—they always, you know—they want to chime in, and uh, we'll we'll see if, if they want to work with us, if they'll they'll let us do that. And then, sure. of course, education is uh, another really big one. West Virginia is actually a pioneering state, along with Arizona, in, in uh, ESAs, education savings accounts. Okay, that's how we're we're instituting school choice, and I'm extremely optimistic about it. Um, the teachers' unions—they're you know, so powerful, they're they're corrupt and. They they don't really care about teachers. They care about students even less. But just giving those kids with very little opportunity, giving them and their parents the freedom to go to the, the school they want to, that's something that I'm going to work really hard for.
0: Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about how ESAs work? Um, to the best of my knowledge, it's similar to a, a a primary education version of like the 529 college savings plan, basically mm-hmm. so that they can get some tax deferment or tax benefits so that they can also afford to put their kids in a nicer school. Is that the right gist of it?
1: Uh, roughly. So at least in in West Virginia, uh, the way we have it working now, and it, it's we we had to work, uh, really we had to fight hard just to get it, and obviously we had to compromise in some ways. So right now we just we got a foot in the door. That's all we need. We got our foot in the door. We're gonna uh, move forward from there. But essentially, what we're doing is, uh, obviously, the a, a public school student. When you do the math, when you break it down, they receive a given amount of money from the federal government, the county, and from the state. From the state in West Virginia, they get around forty six, forty seven hundred dollars. So, what we want to do, and and what we're doing for a, a limited um, amount of uh, kids right now that are that are eligible, what we want to do is expand the eligibility. But for the kids that are eligible now, uh, they They can get the $4,700 and use that money to go to a private school if they want.
0: Right. It ties the money to the kid instead of tying the money to the school. Okay. yeah, I've heard about this. And then that way, so I I think what I'm hearing is that the benefit side of it is that then the schools are incentivized to improve their programs to bring that money in instead of bringing kids in to guarantee money.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Public schools, they're going to get money no matter what. You know, whether, whether half the kids are failing or whether, you know, 90% are, are doing really well and they're just going to get the money no matter what. So they have zero incentive whatsoever. And just going back to simple, basic economics, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's no incentives there. So if we uh, give the kids the, the freedom to go to the, the school that they want, and sometimes it's not even about uh, the incentive. Like sometimes kids, they just want to go to a school that's a little bit closer to home. Or maybe the parents, they want to send their kid to a a religious school, a Catholic school, or, you know, there's even some Protestant schools now. Um, So, yeah, very excited about that.
0: Very cool. It sounds like this is something that you're really like now that you've stepped into it, I can tell you've really you've really buffed up your knowledge. And and this sounds like it could be a really promising career for you to make a difference in the world. That's really awesome, man. I'm, I'm really happy for you uh during the holidays do you think there's any place in particular that people are going to be able to find you uh meeting with your community lending a hand doing volunteer work is there anywhere out there that uh you're going to be busy over Christmas or New Year's weekends
1: yeah well tomorrow I'm going to be going to uh, a church play in one of our uh, small communities um they've got uh the community is called Whitmer it's it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere but they're very tightly knit they've got uh. A church in every corner. I mean, mm-hmm. so everyone's got a church, and it's very nice. But the main, the main thing that they do there on Christmas Eve is the the church play. So I'm gonna go there and and
0: watch the play and talk to people and show my face. It's so funny you mentioned the church on every corner because that was the thing uh, that my girlfriend and I could not stop pointing out when we were driving through West Virginia uh, on every hill, man. No matter what denomination, you're gonna be able to find a place for you to go and feel, you know, closer to your God. It's very mm-hmm. cool. Um, where can people find you on social media? How do you want people to approach you uh, as a delegate, since you're a public figure now? Sure. Well, you can follow me at Elias for
1: WV on all social media. So that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So that'd be Elias, the number four WV. People can follow me there. Keep up to date. Sometimes, rarely, I opine on some national issues, but uh, a lot of times, you know, I'll, I'll. Uh, keep people informed on what we're doing down in Charleston. Certainly. Yeah.
0: If people are motivated to volunteer their time or their energy or anything like that, um, do they go through your website? Do they go just contact you on social media? Yeah, either
1: or. Okay. Any way they can contact me, I'm,
0: I'd be happy to to hear from people. Fantastic. And then any last words you've got for people who listen today?
1: Your character is the most important aspect of leadership. And just because you're young don't let anyone tell you that you can't do anything or you can't make a difference. One of the cool things that I saw in my Facebook demographics was that typically the, the people who are following it are middle-aged to older women. They're the ones that read up and they stay informed on things. They're the ones that, that get out and, and vote. But about two or three weeks before my election, the biggest demographic in my page shifted by a lot and it became young men between 18 and 24. And what I theorize, uh, it, you know, the, the reason I theorize this is the case is because young people, uh, at least around my area, they can see that they can make a difference. And I, I hope that anyone listening right now, uh, they realize that they can do the same. What I'm not a particularly special person. I just, did some things here and there. And if you do the same things, you can do it.
0: Thanks very much for your time. That was Delegate Elect Elias Coop-Gonzalez.